1: take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, 1 Samuel 13 in the scripture, 1 Samuel 13. What a privilege it is to have been back here today that, you know, uh, there's not a lot of talk and maybe not a lot of discussion, maybe not as much as there should be on the subject of atmosphere in a church, but atmosphere matters. Uh, You would say that atmosphere matters at a Thanksgiving dinner, uh, yeah, That's why you have a certain kind of runner and a certain kind of uh, tablecloth and certain kind of dishes and candles. You would say that atmosphere matters at, at a Valentine's uh, date. Uh, that's why you go to a certain restaurant and you have uh, chocolate afterwards, dark chocolate with coffee. Uh, atmosphere matters. And, and atmosphere matters at a football game. That's why you come wearing your colors and you come ready to cheer and all kinds of enthusiasm. You know, atmosphere matters in a church service. And you know, the pastor is the one that sets the atmosphere, but he's not the only one that has something to do with it. I hope that when you come to church, you'll come and continually, whether you know it or not, just keep in your mind, hey, atmosphere matters. And I want to do my part to make sure that there's a good atmosphere and a good spirit. And I'm going to come, whether I'm going through it or not, I'm going to come trying to be a blessing to others. I'm going to come with a smile on my face and my hand outreached to give a handshake or a hug. I'm going to come trying to contribute. I'm going to come trying to contribute to a good atmosphere at my church service. I I want to come with an attitude of of giving. I want to come with an attitude of, of, of getting something from God's word, of expectation. When I was growing up, the first nine years of my life, I went to a church where people would show up 30 to 40 minutes early and get their Bible in the seat just so they could save a seat. And you know one of the reasons why? Because there was a good, exciting atmosphere. And there ought to be a good, exciting atmosphere in church. I mean, really, you know? And I I want to be a part at contributing wherever I go. I want to make the atmosphere better. I want people to see me and be glad that I came instead of glad that I'm leaving, you know? (laughs) And uh, so uh, every, in every way and in every day, you ought to say, Lord, help me to be one that makes the atmosphere better wherever I'm at and be a blessing to everybody that I meet and especially when I'm around the most important meeting on the planet on Sundays and Wednesdays at my church. Let's bow right now and pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we need you tonight. Thank you for all the prayer that's already been gone and it's already been put into the service. Thank you for the decisions that have already been made. Thank you for the sweetness of this church body and for the importance of it. Thank you for these dear people who have taken time on a Sunday night to be here. And Lord, we praise your holy name for that. And I ask you, Lord, to encourage their hearts. Give each one that is here some token for good for being here and honoring you and being being here to encourage uh, each other and to encourage the pastor and to honor and magnify Jesus. Now, Lord, help me as I preach tonight to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit May what I say benefit, and please, uh, Lord, may it honor and glorify you, and may it benefit those that are here. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do, in Jesus' precious name, amen. First Samuel chapter 13 is where your Bibles are open, and I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of selfishness, selfishness. Maybe it is discussed, maybe you've heard several sermons recently on the matter, maybe you've only heard just a few. But it needs to be discussed because our world is full of it, full of all kinds of selfishness. It's what destroys uh, a family. It's what rots a marriage. It's what ruins a life. It's what, it's what eats away at the foundations of a culture and a society, selfishness. And when there is selflessness, it makes that society or that marriage, or that family, or that individual rise. Where there is selfishness, it makes that family, that individual, that marriage, that culture fall. Selfishness. Now I remember when I was in college and I was traveling with with who is now the president of Ambassador Baptist College. We were in a singing group and I was the preacher, he was the leader, and he and his wife were traveling along and they hadn't been married for very long. And he said, boy, you know, you really discover how selfish you are when you get married. And I was unmarried, thought I knew everything. And in my heart, I shook my head and I said, you might be selfish, but not me. And then I got married. Now you have to share your name and share your bank account and share the covers and share the car keys and share everything. And then you think you've you think you've got it all together after you've been married and you don't, you, don't, you don't have selfishness and you've worked through all that. And then you start having kids. You don't know how selfish you are until you have children. You see, from the time you're a little baby, you're oohed on and ahed on and everybody comes and pats you on the head and on the back and helps you out and tells you what a wonderful person you are and, and you begin to believe it. And then you get married and you have conflict. And you have to share And all that selfishness that's been deep down in not just because of all the accolades you've received, but because of your own flesh, it begins to come to the surface. Because whenever there's pressure, what's inside comes to the surface. And then you have kids. Now, you don't just get to share it with your wife. Now, you get to share it with everybody. And you don't know how selfish you are until you only have one Twix candy bar in the front and there's three or four or five in the back. Hungry brood listening for every little tiny crinkle of candy wrapper. you got to figure that out, how you, can, how you can tear that off without them hearing it and then slip it, slide it to each other without them seeing it and look out the window so they can't even catch on the direction your whole head blocks. There's, there's ways around having to share your Twix candy bar with all the hungry brood in back. But you know, selfishness is a major plague and a major problem. And it, it is not addressed, you know, it'd be good for the Congress, both the Senate and the House, to come sit and hear a message on selfishness. Amen. It'd be good for the leadership of our nation, and it'd be good for those that are trying to eat away at its foundation to sit and hear a message on selfishness from the Bible. Amen. And that's what I want to give you tonight. I want to preach to you on the subject, Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul, if you only had known how selfishness would have ruined your life and the lives of those around you, if you could have only seen where selfishness would have led you, if you could only step back with 2020 vision ahead of time and see what was gonna happen as a result of your selfish choices, one after another after another. Maybe you would have reversed course. And tonight, I want God to give us 2020 vision ahead of time. Amen. Not just on Monday morning, but before we have an angry outburst and before we make a selfish choice. And before we exert our selfishness upon our family and our friends and ruin their lives in the process, it's always good to stop, step back, and take the long look and have a little foresight. Now, the Bible says here in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that, that Saul, had been, Saul had, been, had been anointed as king. He's the first king. He would have been such a good king. He, he was from the tribe of Benjamin and he was a humble man would have been such a good king when they first found him and he first found out that he was going to be anointed king he wasn't sure he was up for the task and went and hit among the stuff he was a humble man when we first find him not everything about Saul was selfish as far as the whole panorama of his life when he first, we first find Saul, he's, he's solid, he's, he's got a good, good head about him, he seems to be a good leader, he has, he has those that will rally around him. But as we continue on in Saul's life, we find selfishness coming out again and again and again. And selfishness will come out from all of our lives. But it's what you do with it. When you dig in your heels and someone has pointed out selfishness, when it's, it's drawn to your attention... That's not the time to to defend how right you are. That's the time to hit the altar. That's the time to get right with God. That's the time to humble yourself. That's the time to rid yourself of the selfishness through confession and forsaking that sin. It's the time to acknowledge it for what it really is. But as Saul's selfishness came to the surface and his people and others brought it to his attention, he never would acknowledge it. He dug in his heels... It was too big to be wrong. And oh my, what destruction it caused. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. Let's notice 1 Samuel chapter 13. In verse number one, it says Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba and the Philistines heard of it and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear and all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. In verse five, it says the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Mikmash eastward from Beth-Avon, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Remember prior to this, they didn't have a king. They didn't have a standing army. As far as it goes, they, they, they were struggling for leadership. They had Samuel. If they had been right with the Lord, they would have been okay with Samuel. Samuel stood as a judge. He stood as a prophet he stood as their leader, as a priest. And here in this passage of Scripture, now they have Saul. Saul is physically strong. He stands head and shoulders above all the rest of his peers. But now the Philistines come down. They've got 6,000 chariots, 30,000 chariots, excuse me, 6,000 horsemen. This would be like saying we've got 30,000 Apache helicopters and we've got 6,000 M1 Abrams tanks. We're ready to go. And then they filled the the valleys like sand on the sea. And the Bible says that these people hid themselves in verse 6, in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. Now, There were times of trembling before, but I just want to pause and make a leadership note because there are many leaders here. There are leaders of families. There are leaders in business here. There are leaders here in in responsibility in this church. A good leader inspires their followers, instills courage in their followers. But you'll find this as a pattern of Saul's life. He was an insecure person and an insecure leader. And an insecure leader wants to control every detail of everybody's life that is their follower. And here in this passage of Scripture, he shows it in that all the people were scared half out of their minds and they follow him trembling, and that's the kind of followership he wanted. That's not good for a leader to have or to want that kind of followership. He tarried seven days. He was waiting according to the time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, something that only the priest was to do or the one in charge, the priest, the, 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 the leader, which was Samuel at the time. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what, what hast thou done? You see, it wasn't Saul's place to offer a burnt offering. It was Samuel's place. It wasn't Saul's responsibility. It was Samuel's responsibility, and it was solely his responsibility. So when Samuel saw him, he said, what hast thou done? This isn't right, in essence, that's what he's saying. Well, why am I seeing a burnt offering? I mean, he comes just as soon as the burnt offering has been made. And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. Now, I'm going to start from 1 Samuel 13, and we're going to parachute all the way through to the rest of 1 Samuel. We're just touching highlights. I want you to see it. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul, if only you had realized that selfishness leads to disobedience. Not once, not 50% of the time, not 90% of the time, not 10% of the time, 100% of the time. Selfishness always leads to disobedience. If, if I'm living a selfish life, it's going to bear fruit in disobedience. And when I live in disobedience to my earthly authority, I live in disobedience to my heavenly authority. You can't live a disobedient life and please God. That's what Saul did. He offered a burnt offering, and it was not his place. It was not his privilege, but he did it anyway. That's what selfishness does. It leads to disobedience. It views God's word as unimportant and insignificant. It it, it deems God's commands as really really not weighty. I won't be held accountable. I can do this and get by. God will overlook my crime. But selfishness always leads to disobedience. And then when Samuel confronted him, in verse number 11, Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. They were were leaving. They, they They were going over Jordan. And that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal. I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul, if only you had understood that selfishness makes silly excuses versus claiming responsibility. Selfishness makes silly excuses versus claiming responsibility. And by the way, I I want it understood tonight, young people, you're not the only ones that are selfish. I found some adults that have set a very good pattern of selfishness for their children. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul, if only you would understand, have understood that selfishness makes silly excuses. Well, uh, what do you mean, what have I done? I saw the people were leaving, going over Jordan, and, and I saw the Philistines were gathering, and, and you weren't here. Uh, and, and then I saw, I saw that this was going to happen, and, and I said to myself, self, you better make a burnt offering or you're not going to be able to move forward with this thing in any kind of victorious way. So I forced myself, all the while, big battle within me. Do you see see any of that in this passage? Verse 9, Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering. Do you see any of that conflict that he's citing? I had a a teacher when I was in high school. His name was Mr. Hazard, and he was from Boston, Massachusetts, and he always talked about parking the car and quota and water. He he never lost his Boston accent. And you know what he taught us? That, That an excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And you mark this, what I'm saying to you about Saul, you can find as a pattern throughout his life, making excuses here, making excuses in 1 Samuel 15, making excuses for his his selfish acts toward his own son-in-law, David, making excuses for for calling up uh, 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 Samuel's spirit from the dead. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 14. This is another battle, but in 1 Samuel 14, you'll find that Saul is seated under the pomegranate trees. But Jonathan says, I don't want to sit under these pomegranate trees. I want to go out. I want to do battle. I want to fight. And so Jonathan takes his armor bearer and says, let's go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised and let's fight. By the way, what Saul was, Jonathan was not. Saul was insecure. Jonathan was very secure. Saul was at points very, very fearful, and Jonathan was very courageous. Saul was not a good leader in many senses. Jonathan was a good leader. By the way, leadership isn't something that you have when you have a title. Leadership is something that you show. It's influence. It's something that you you display. And Jonathan, though he didn't have any kind of big fancy title, he said to his arm bearer, come, let's go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for there is no, 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 uh, no hindrance to the Lord to say by many or by few, no restraint. And his armor bearer said, "You go and do all that's in your heart." So Jonathan, while Saul and his men are sitting under the shade of a pomegranate tree, Saul and his men are there in an insecure way, not really ready to go into battle or willing to go into battle. Jonathan is over here running the Philistines down one side of the hill, killing them all with his armor bearer, slaying them right and left, left and right. And then he comes back, and, and Saul says, uh, "Or jo- Jonathan, Jonathan, find some honey." In the same passage now, he finds some honey and he he says, hey, let's eat some honey. And all the men say, oh, oh no, oh no, we can't do that. Jonathan says, well, why can't we do that? He says, because your father said there's a fast and anybody that breaks the fast is gonna die. You know, let me tell you something about insecure leaders, they're, they're brilliant. I mean, they come up with brilliant ideas as long as it pleases them. It's the height of brilliance to proclaim a fast in the middle of a battle. You know, that's when your men can really stand it. You know, they need a little energy and a little protein. No, 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 they, they, let's have a fast. And Jonathan just rolled his eyes and went on with it. But here in this passage in verse number eight, notice what the Bible says. Verse 17, then said, 1 Samuel 14, verse number 17, then said Saul unto the people that were with him, number now and see who is gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahiah, bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And so he brought the ark of God. I want to say something that that selfishness substitutes form for substance, Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. If only you would have seen that selfishness substitutes form for substance. And Saul was good at putting good form out and being concerned with that. But form is not what you and I should be aiming for. Substance is what we should be aiming for. This world is full of the pursuit of uh, of form. They're They're full, full and overflowing with the pursuit of perception Of branding but what is needed is character and substance the world is all about image I want to have a good image but not so much about substance and character and now he wants a good image how does he want it well he calls for the ark of God and I want to say this to you if if you don't seek God's presence a, a symbol of God's presence is not going to help you that's what the ark of God was He wasn't seeking God's presence. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, because he had offered a sacrifice, Samuel said, in essence, you're not going to be the king forever. And so now he's still trying to keep up the form. And I believe this, that when we miss out and we stop seeking the substance and the character and true godliness and we replace it with form, having a form of godliness, but denying the power power thereof, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. So whatever it is that is seeking form instead of godliness, look here, you can have form without godliness, a form of godliness without godliness, but you can't have godliness without the form. It will come. If you're truly godly, it will begin to show and manifest itself. But if you're, if you're just putting up a form and, and, and pretending, pretty soon the stink of your ungodliness will, will, will emanate through. And that's what Saul was. Saul was. Saul was selfish and selfishness always seeks, seeks form instead of substance. Watch now, 1 Samuel 15. Look at 1 Samuel 15. God told him to go kill the Amalekites. He was to go kill and wipe them out. And there's a reason for that because the Amalekites had stood against the people of God way back in the book of Numbers. It was the battle where Joshua... Uh, asked the Lord to, to, to make the sun stand still, or he was a battle where, where excuse me, Moses, Moses was, h- had his arms held up, and, uh, and Joshua hurt the, and destroyed the Amalekites, but not completely. And, and God said, write this battle in a book. And God said, Saul, now is their time. I want you to go wipe them out. By the way, they had all the way from Numbers <laughs> till 1 Samuel to get right. And if Am- Amalek had ever gotten right, God would have shown mercy because that's his character. They hadn't. So Saul doesn't obey the Lord. He goes down and he spares Agag. Notice 1 Samuel 15, verse number 8. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. God sent Saul or Samuel to Saul And he said, Samuel, go confront him. Verse number 13, Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. This goes right along with that form, that pretense. In verse 14, and Samuel said, "Mm, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Watch this, and Saul said, they... They have brought them from the Amalekites. Watch this. Selfishness always blames others. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul, if only you had known and seen that selfishness leads to disobedience, if only you'd understood that selfishness makes silly excuses versus claiming responsibility, if only you had understood that selfishness substitutes form for substance, if only you would have understood that selfishness blames others. They, they, that's not what the Bible says. In verses eight and nine, it says Saul spared egg, and Saul and the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen. But now Saul is right in the middle of being caught. And when a selfish person is right in the middle of being caught, they don't own up. Amen. They blame others. And if you're selfish tonight, by the way, selfishness isn't static, it's fluid. Some days you might be selfish, some days you might be selfless. Some moments you might be selfish some moments you might be selfless He said, preacher what's the difference whether or not you're depending upon the Holy Spirit some days I'm selfish some moments I'm selfish some some moments I'm selfless and the difference is when I'm depending on the flesh and living in the flesh and living in the power of the flesh then it's gonna be selfishness on full display when I'm living in the power of the Spirit it's going to be selflessness and you know what selfishness does it blames others I've been trying to teach a little saying to my boys. My problem is not your fault. Would you say it with me together? My problem is not your fault. Let's say it again. My problem is not your fault. Because, you know, if we're not careful, then we can begin to think my problem is your fault. And we blame others. That's what Saul's doing. This is a problem. Now Samuel's coming at him again. Boy, Samuel never thinks anything good of me, he never says anything good of me. Oh, Samuel's always got a negative message. One of those hellfire and brimstone preachers, probably an independent Baptist. I wish he'd lighten up a little bit and give me a little bit of Joel Osteen. I could really use that right now. And, and he says, hey, he says, what, what means then this bleeding of the sheep that I'm hearing and the lowing of the oxen? Oh, oh that's the people. You know how rotten they are there's that insecure selfish leadership coming out. Watch now, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 15 in this passage, Samuel gives ample opportunity for Saul to get right, but he blame shifts, blame shifts, blame shifts. In verse number first number 21, he says, "The people took of the spoil sheep and ox and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice." unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. It's almost like he's saying it. The people, they took those things. that should have been utterly destroyed, but they did it to, to sacrifice. Kind of, kind of looking like, that's okay, isn't it? And Samuel said in verse number 22, if the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. He says, says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Young people, look right up at me. I wanna say something to you. You don't have to go out into the woods with a group of crazy fanatics, dress up in a red or a black hood and a stand in a pentagram and offer an animal as a sacrifice to be a devil worshiper. All you have to do is when God says yes, you say no, or when God says no, you say yes. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's vile. And look at verse 23. He says, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Watch this. Oh, selfish, selfish soul. If only you had understood, if only you had realized that selfishness secures what you desire, but forfeits what you need. Selfishness secures your desire, but forfeits your need. He got what he wanted, but he lost what he had. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. In 1 Samuel 16, the Lord's going to anoint David. In 1 Samuel 17, when Saul could have inspired his troops to go down, or at least one of his troops to go down and and by faith defeat Goliath, nobody from his army, nobody, not even him, went down and fought against Goliath. It took a shepherd boy from the backside of a hill, a teenager who wasn't hardened in battle, to see the problem and to see it clearly. Because why? He'd been walking with God. David showed up at the battlefield and he saw the right and wrong and he decided he was going to stand for what was right and he went before the king and pled for the opportunity to fight against Goliath and the king said, you're just a boy, you can't do this. Where's the inspiring leadership in that? Nowhere to be found because an insecure leader doesn't want people around him to succeed or to do better than he is doing. But a good leader says, I want everybody around me to do as good and and better than I'm doing. They're thinking about the cause. They're thinking about the, the whole of the matter, not some insignificant little portion. And they're certainly not thinking about themselves. In 1 Samuel 17, David kills Goliath and inspires the troops of Israel to go down and fight against the Philistines. In 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, David is set over the men of war in verse number 5 the ladies of, of Israel come out and they answer the king with this song. Saul, they, they answer this song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Think with me for just a moment. They did not say Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. They weren't trying to contrast and compare. You can look at it for yourself. 1 Samuel chapter seven, 18 and verse 7. They said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. They did not sing, David has slain his ten thousands. In fact, they didn't put David first. They put Saul first. This was a song of victory. They weren't trying to compare. They were glad for all that Saul had done, and they were certainly glad for what David had just done. And instead of keep being glad about this, instead of being a secure leader, he should have said, Hey, what are they singing? They're, they're recognizing David's military ability and acknowledging it? Wow, I set the right man over the right men in 1 Samuel 18 and verse number 5. This is a mark of my good leadership and wisdom other people recognize. It. No, he didn't say that. No, no. No, an insecure, selfish person wouldn't do that. He would get mad and jealous and envious and full of rage. Oh, verse number Nine, Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Verse eight, Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. So you know what he's going to do? In the following verses in 1 Samuel chapter 18, he's going to vie, lobby, uh, uh, he's going to do everything he can to get David to be his son-in-law and marry his daughter Michael or Michal. Not because he wants a good son-in-law, not because he wants Michal or Michael to have a good, good husband but because he wants to keep an eye on David and keep his thumb on him and possibly kill him at first chance. So he's going to do that. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 19, David is married now to Michal or Michael. In 1 Samuel 19, Jonathan is trying to to lobby for David. In 1 Samuel 19, Chapter 20 and 21, Jonathan and David are talking, and Jonathan makes a covenant with David. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 28, Jonathan answered Saul and said, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go, I pray thee, for our family hath a sacrifice in the city. My brother, he hath commanded me to be there. Now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me go away or get away. I pray thee and see my brethren. Therefore, he cometh not unto the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and to the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said, Unto him wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. All right, this is 1 Samuel 20. You know what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 19? Saul came to David and Michal or Michael's house, and, and, and Michael sent David out the window, put stuff in the bed to make it look like David was there, and tried to cover for him as, as a good wife, trying to protect her husband. And when Saul discovers that he, he had been bamboozled and Michael had covered for her husband, he got mad at Michael. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. If only you had seen, watch it, that selfishness destroys the people you should love the most. You see, I'd like to say that we're inside a place here that is impervious to selfishness, that's immune to selfishness. But just like sickness could spread around this place, selfishness can spread around this body. And it could ruin and rot this body right from the inside out. Marriages that once stood as beacons and testimonies could be completely broken apart by selfishness. Don't be so quick to blame the devil. Surely he's behind all of that, but maybe you should look in the mirror and see the ugliness that selfishness is. I think some people, Pastor, the longer I'm in this thing of ministry, the, the, the more I am convinced that some people don't even know how to look in the mirror. They haven't looked in the mirror of God's word in a long time. The only time they look in the mirror is when the preacher says, open your Bibles, three times a week, maybe less. And when they look in the mirror, then they're looking at it like this. (coughs) Trying to make sure their wife or their husband gets a good look. Trying to make sure their kids get a good look. But the Bible says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Do You know what the Bible says in James? A, a, a man that seems to be religious, but bridles not his tongue, this man's religion is vain. He's a hearer of the word and not a doer. And he looks into a glass like a man. You know, a man looks into a mirror different than a lady. Do we all understand that? A man looks into a mirror once a day, unless he's a teenage man, then he hits a little bit more than that. (laughs) But once a day, he sees it at the beginning, he's got it all figured out, a little extra gel, a little hairspray, boom, off to the races, and he forgets about it the rest of the day. Not so with a lady. Ladies carry mirrors with them. (laughs) Have you heard of such craziness? And every once in a while, they'll take them out and they'll fold them up. It's not the men that are always looking at the mirrors all over the place. It's the ladies. And they look at every little facet and detail and try to make sure it's just so and just right. And that's the way you're supposed to look into the mirror of God's word. Like a lady looks into the mirror. Attending to details. Making sure what is wrong is made right. Ah. Not so with selfish, selfish Saul. He's destroying his daughter. He's destroying his son. He obviously doesn't have very good thoughts about his wife because he called her a perverse, rebellious woman. He, He is a mess and he's ruining everything else around him. Why? Because of selfishness. He'll chase David with good hard tax dollars up into the mountains, not a terrorist, not a Philistine, not an enemy, but David, his, his, his guy in charge of the special forces. David, his own son-in-law. Why? Because of selfishness. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, you come to the end of the book. Notice if you would. There's so many things that, that, that are taking place in this passage of Scripture. 1 Samuel 28, please. 1 Samuel 28, Samuel was dead, verse number three. Verse four, the Philistines gathered themselves together against Saul. Verse five, Saul saw the host of the Philistines, and when he did, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. Verse six, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him, Not, neither by dreams, nor by urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, read carefully these next words. Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. Hey, hey, wait, 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 time out. Do we have a different Saul here? Is this a completely different Saul? You know, sometimes people in the Bible had the same name, but they were different people. Is this a different person? Is this the same? This can't possibly be the same Saul that was humble, hiding amongst the stuff, not wanting to take such a grave responsibility being the first king of Israel. Yep, same guy. Wait, 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 wait. Is this the same Saul that danced and prophesied before the Lord? Yep, same guy. Is this the same Saul that, that, that was used of God in a mighty way to go against the Philistines? Yep, that's him. Now, he's looking for a witch, a demon-possessed witch. Verse number eight, Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night and said, he said, I pray thee divine unto me that by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done. How he hath cut off all those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Well, then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul! Watch me. No selfish, selfish Saul. If only you had understand, had understood that selfishness always leads to disobedience. Selfishness makes silly excuses instead of claiming responsibility. Selfishness substitutes form for character and substance. Selfishness achieves your desire but forfeits your need. Selfishness destroys those that you should love the most. If only you could have seen Saul that selfishness will lead you to places and choices you never thought you'd make. Seeking a familiar spirit? Summoning up Samuel? Because he can't hear the voice of God. And the reason that he can't hear the voice of God is because his fingers are in his ears. His heart is thick with selfishness and dull of hearing. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul. We find him in 1 Samuel chapter 31 with a Philistine arrow between his armor. He falls down in battle. In verse number 4, then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. so Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men the same day together. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul, if only you had seen And understood that selfishness leads to a premature end. It leads to destruction before your time. It wasn't the will of God for Saul to die this way. David would sing in his eulogy that he died a mighty man, but he died as a foolish man, as one who had not been anointed. This was not the will of God. For Saul to die this way? For Saul to die at this time? But here he is, dead, pierced through with an enemy arrow and then falling on his own sword and some would even argue finished off by the Amalekite of 2 Samuel chapter 1. Oh, selfish, selfish Saul.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church we pray that god has used his word to speak to your heart today if you'd like to learn more about the ministries of tabernacle baptist church you can go to our website tabernaclehickory.org that is tabernaclehickory.org there you'll find additional resources that we pray god will use to be a help to you if the lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.